Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out, no matter how hard it rains. In my city. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 281st episode of Real Hawk Talk. I'm Brian Nemhauser, and you can find me on Twitter at HawkBlogger. And we got a good crew here tonight to talk about all things Seahawks and maybe a few things beyond that, as we often do. Before I bring in the fellas, let me just remind you, if you haven't already, give the show a like, click subscribe. We're, we are inching closer to 10,000 subscribers on the channel uh got a great community happy to have you be part of it click subscribe for when we go live there's news that broke today you never know when there's going to be news that breaks the trade deadlines next week maybe we have a live pod uh, at any time so click subscribe to get uh informed when we do that and then go to patreon.com hawk blogger to sign up get access to the slack channel and um we're getting closer and closer to Thanksgiving, and we're going to do our Ring of Honor dinner around then. Uh, Jeff will be there. Jeff will be there. We'll be having a great dinner, uh, likely steak at some swanky steakhouse with other Ring of Honor members. Patreon.com slash There's only a few spots left. So if you're interested in supporting, that's a great thing to do. And proceeds go to charity, over 260 grand that we've already donated, so you can help there as well. All right, let's bring in the fellows here. I'm going to start with the amazing throwback jersey being worn by Jeff Simmons, at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. He knows what week it is. Jeff, tell the folks that are listening and not watching, what, what do you have on today? I'm, I'm wearing the throwback jersey. Uh I, I was uh, a little inebriated in the summer and throwbacks came out and I made a drunken purchase and I'm wearing my JSN right now. I was a little worried uh, once the injury happened and the slow start that I might have cursed them, even though it's a stupid thing to believe in, but it's a throwback week. So I'm like, I got, I got to bring it up for the show. I don't often buy rookie jerseys and I, I had to break my rule for this guy. I love it. It looks great on you, man. 11 is a cool number, too. I think it's it's cool. Nathan, at Nathan11, bringing him in here. Uh, have have you bought a jersey before? Yeah, yeah. I've got, I've got a couple. You've got a few, got right? A few. Do you do you have a rule of when you're going to buy? Like, does it does a player have to be established before you buy a jersey? Do you like to buy it before anyone else has done it? Like, do you have any mindset there when you're picking a jersey? 
Yeah, I like to to have someone that's a little bit more established. Um, you know, you kind of get to know the player, uh, different guys you like more or less. So, like, I have a Doug, I have a Sherm, I have a Bobby, uh, I have a Hasselbeck. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely go for guys that are, like, proven. Yeah, see, I, I for many years, would buy, like, I loved finding the rookies or the guys that I thought were going to be big and buying them before anyone else did because I didn't want to have the jersey that everyone else had. And that is a risky move. And I had the exact same feelings Jeff had about, oh, am I, like, jinxing this guy by buying his jersey? And I had a conversation with Evan because Evan's like, I really want to buy a Witherspoon jersey, but like every time I do that, I'm going to curse somebody. And I'm like, you know what? If I was buying a jersey right now, a Witherspoon throwback would be first on my list mm-hmm. for sure. What is the like the worst player you right. whose jersey you have? You know, do you have like some huge bust or somebody that's just a total no name? Uh, I had two that probably qualify. One of which I will be wearing on Sunday. I. I am old enough that I don't need to buy a throwback jersey. I have a throwback jersey uh, for Mr. Amon Green um, back back in the Holmgren days. Yes. Uh, So I've got an Amon Green. I've also got a Corin Robinson. Those aren't bad, though. I mean, they're not like a really good player, but not for the not much for the Seahawks. Yes. Yes. They they ended up not being good investments for a young Brian who didn't have a lot of money to spend and never had bought a jersey before. And is like, oh, my God, I just dropped 80 bucks or whatever it was. And and now this guy's not on the team anymore. So I think the other thing with that is like it's risky. I mean, the player could not be very good. The player could do something terrible. Um, right. <laughs> uh, but also like after three or four years, you're just, you're still just wearing the jersey that everybody else is wearing, right? Like if a Green had stuck around and been really good for the Seahawks, everyone would have his jersey. So like this is true. But but see, Nathan, I, I like to be early. You know, okay. I, I like to feel like I call myself like stock trading. Yes, exactly. There should be like you should get some sort of return, like like an amount back um, on your jersey purchase if it ends up growing in popularity, and you were one of the early investors in that player. Like, I don't know. There's some NFT play to be made there. I don't know. It'd be it'd be cool. Um. <laughs> All right, so I am very excited about the jerseys and the throwback. I'm not as as like jersey oriented. I, I don't wait every week for them to say what their uniform combo is. Like everybody gets so into that. Like that's not me. But I think the team's done a really cool job with the whole thing, all the way back from the design of the throwback jerseys to how they announced them and rolled them out to what they're doing this week. Have you guys been following that a little bit? Like the the press, the, the media guy being throwback, like all that kind of stuff? Uh, some pieces of it. The, the media guy thing was a nice touch. Yeah, I mean, Jeff, I don't know if you paid more any attention as well, but like the they're doing something at Lumen Field. They're actually, I think they're trying to like throwback Lumen Field a little bit too, um, to like the Kingdom era. Have you, have you heard about that? I, I saw Pete mention a little bit about it, but... I know, like, they've been the whole website looks 90s style, and like, this stuff they've been wearing, but like the Gino and some of the guys were wearing like old Chuck Knox hats. I don't know if you caught that after the game on Sunday. I did. And like, there's just so many opportunities where they could have screwed this up, and they've done an amazing job with it. Yeah. Yeah. They really have. It, it, it's, it's, it's fun. Um, 
I don't know how I feel about the '90s being a throwback thing at this point, but uh, that's just that's just the life I am leading. Um, wait, 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 wait. What do you guys think? Should I get a Bobo jersey? Oh, I think that's. I mean, you'll never regret that. I don't think I'll ever regret that. I don't right? think you'll ever regret that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We also got to give Nathan some credit. The last time we were on with him, he was telling us that San Francisco wasn't that good. <laughs> I don't know. You're if I the head. I was definitely going to bring that up. I mean, oh, I'm. I'm sure. Uh, Not wasn't that good, but that whole show we were like, oh, San Francisco's unstoppable. I mean, I also on that same episode was talking about how good Brock Purdy was. So, you know, <laughs> ups and downs. Okay. Well, we're yeah. I'm going to actually press pause on that because otherwise we'll start the show again talking about the 49ers for 20 minutes. And I want to come back to that. I do want to come back to this later. That's that is one of the news of the days. But let's actually do this. Uh, there are a fair amount of stories that have broke uh, in the last 24 hours around the Seahawks. Um, and, and Nathan, I'm going to start with you. Uh, anything uh, that jumped out to you as uh, you know, top of mind or that, that got your attention the most? Yeah, I mean, obviously the biggest story is uh, them bringing Kenny McIntosh off the IR. Um, it's uplifting news per Pete Carroll. Uh, so I think that's the one that's got me the most, uh, jazzed and pumped. Uh, you know, he's mostly joking, but there is a reason you're excited about this. Why, why are yeah, you and Derek so excited about this? Like you have evil reasons for, for like, you, you will want Kenny McIntosh to, to succeed. Why? Because as we all know, running backs don't matter and it will be very, uh, it'll be very interesting to see if the was he seventh round or sixth round? Seventh round. Seventh, yeah. Uh, can perform as well as either of their uh, two recent second round picks. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited for. I hear he's a, a pass blocking maven too, which we desperately need since we lost Travis uh, Homer. So it's all very exciting stuff. I love if if there's anything that is as predictable as the sun rising, it is Nathan looking for opportunities to confirm his priors about running backs. So uh, that is, that warms my heart, Nathan, and, and no surprise. Jeff, uh, what about you? News uh, around the Seahawks that caught your attention? Uh, for me, it's got to be the Frank Clark move. Um, I thought that they would kind of roll out some of the young guys. They have four on edge group. It sucks that Chano Nwosu is out for the year. So having that confirmed today that he is out for the season, he's going to need surgery. That was pretty devastating. And I was a little surprised they signed Frank Clark, uh, but that definitely caught my eye. I thought they were going to play, maybe call up a Tyreek Smith or Levi Bell, maybe kind of take a low flyer in a trade. I didn't really see the Frank Clark thing happening. And then today they sign him and they, they've run their defense a little differently because they've, he's not your typical stand up outside linebacker. He's, more of a four three end. I know Clint Hurt. He was on Mike Duger's podcast a couple of years ago when he was not the DC when he was just a D line coach, and he was talking about how hard it was for him to keep losing players year after year. And he mentioned Clark and Reed were two guys that he took really personally when they lost them and didn't really replace them. So I wonder how much Clint Hurt advocated for this move. He's had a lot of success with those guys. Frank Clark's a guy that has mixed reactions in the fan base for pretty obvious reasons. There was a reason they got him in the first place, and it's not a very good reason. It's for some of the things that were – that was like the craziest press conference I've seen Pete and John have. So 
I did not think he'd be back. I, there was a lot of chatter he was going back to the Chiefs. He did a physical with them last week. So I'd say that was the big news for me. Yeah, so for folks that, that for whatever reason, hadn't heard the news, Chenna Nuosu uh, came out of the game with a pec injury, has since been you know diagnosed as a serious enough tear that he's going to have to have surgery, and he's out for the year. He's been placed on IR. And we were probably going to have some conversation on this pod about whether the Seahawks should be in the market for uh, Brian Burns or whether they should be in the market for one of the edge rushers that Montez Sweat or Chase Young or all these things. And instead, the Seahawks went out and signed Frank Clark, uh, someone who had been drafted by the Seahawks, uh, same year as Tyler Lockett, uh, had become a very good pass rusher um, in his time with Seattle, and then was one of the only examples of John Schneider and Pete Carroll trading away a player, essentially entering their prime as a effective player. Um, and then recouping draft picks as a result. Uh, this was a very rare thing for this team to do. They've I, I can't think of almost any other times that they've done that. We spent a lot of time praising that um, that decision, and unfortunately, that turned into LJ Collier. So, like, uh, it wasn't as as amazing as we had hoped. But um, there are some people that tell you it turned into DK Metcalf. Technically, it did not. The picks that they got were not used to draft DK Metcalf. But in any event, I can see why there's some indirect relationship between the two. So um, they've now brought him back. He was he was with Kansas City. Frank Clark, for folks that don't know, it has this partially due to the amount of games he's played, but also um, uh, his proficiency here. He is third in league history in sacks in the playoffs so he has 13 and a half sacks in the playoffs there's only two players that have more than that he had a long you know pretty productive pro bowl career with the chiefs went to the broncos played two games they cut him and now the seahawks have brought him back so um i do think that that's the news of the day for sure um I agree with you, Jeff. I wasn't I wasn't exactly expecting it from just a fit perspective, but as soon as they did it, it seemed to make all sorts of sense. Like cost them nothing. They don't have to give up any draft capital. Uh, the price they're probably going to pay is not probably all that high. Um, there's no commitment, I'm sure, beyond this year. And he's got familiarity with players along the line, players on the defense, with the coaching staff. He be able to plug and play pretty quickly to the point where Pete Carroll said today he expects him to be on the field this week and play against the Browns, which is not something you probably would expect from another player that they might acquire this quickly. So Nathan, I'm, I know you have points of view on the Frank Clark move. Uh, why don't you share those with folks? No, like, like Jeff said, I mean, the guy's kind of a crappy dude. Not only does he have the domestic violence thing, uh, sucker punched uh, Jermaine Effetti, uh, who, you know, Jermaine Effetti, by all accounts, was annoying as hell as a teammate. Uh, but I think Jermaine, like, he missed a few games. Like, he he knocked him out, and he had a concussion, and he had to miss the preseason games. But, like, he missed time, um, or at least some practices. And, yeah, just not generally not, like, a great dude, it seems like. And, um, you know, and kind of washed and, like, what are, we, what are we even doing here? <laughs> like, why are we bringing this dude back? Mm. Uh especially with some of the comments that Schneider's made in the past, which I think he has recently walked back, right? He's, he's, uh, 
clarified some of the like we would never bring in somebody that has hit a woman because they've done that so many times yeah, now. you walked that back yep finally walked that back so um but yeah so not a guy I like rooting for and so not a guy i i, I really wish they hadn't had done this well, I think that's an important point of view to share. You know, I don't know that everybody, definitely a part of the fan base will will have that. And they're probably not the most vocal part of the fan base. And I think it's important to for people to know that, that there's other folks out there feeling that. Um, and I certainly understand it. Um, I, I, if I look at it from a pure football point of view, I, I think that the most important thing that they might've lost from a Chen that they didn't have. in someone like Daryl Taylor is the ability to set the edge um, against the run. Daryl Taylor is incapable of that. Like it doesn't seem to be able to do anything close to that. Derek Hall's a rookie. It's a lot to ask him. I think he has the tools that you think to help there, but that puts you at a pretty thin situation. If any of those guys don't pan out or anyone get hurt in a game, so it feels to me like Frank Clark's, even if he's not as effective of a pass rusher, he's always been a physical guy. Um, you'd think that he'd be able to set the edge reasonably well against the run. You saw Bruce Irvin come in at like age 90 last year and be able to help in that regard as well. So um, the other thing I'll bring up with the Frank Clark piece that may or may not be true, but Jeff, you know, when I talked to you in preseason um, about Derek Hall, the guy that re he reminded me of once I saw his stab and his like the, his power was Frank Clark. I was like, yeah, maybe this guy's not going to be a speed around the edge kind of guy. He's not going to bend the way, you know, uh, boy, Mafe is looking like he can. But maybe Frank Clark would be able to pass along some you know, wisdom of, of ways that he succeeded in the NFL and have some kind of positive impact on Derek Hall's development um, as a pass rusher. So don't know, but um, he's on the team. Jaron Reed's super excited. Jaron Reed said he's going to live with him to st start with and have a place to sleep. And, uh, you know, the, the guys seem pretty happy to have him back. So uh, it'll be interesting. I, I think Jeff, do you think that this closes the books on any potential of them trading for another edge player? Most likely. Um, I'm, actually, I'm almost certain they're not going to make a trade. I think the only thing, like, if they would do, it have to be a pretty splashy move where like, maybe they're sending back Daryl Taylor. But I think this is this is their move, essentially. They think this is a transition. And it helps, again, with their biggest issue losing Nuosu is Taylor's weakness is setting the edge. And Clark's actually pretty good at that. So I thought they might take a shot. And like, I know Corbin Smith mentioned Carl Lawson from the Jets. And mm. that was a guy that they might put Manila by low on, but I think Clark, I think Clark, that's their move. Now they got that four man group back. Yeah. Nathan, I, I, I also, I heard somebody mentioning Leonard Williams again. So D tackle, not edge. Um, I'm curious, like we've talked about it early in the season, deep tackle might be something you need. Uh, any part of you feel that that they still might make a move there? No, I don't think so. I mean, we were all pretty skeptical of Jaron Reed, and that is, he's completely panned out. Mario Edwards looks good. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think... Uh, and, and I think Nwosu going down is, uh, obviously hurts him a lot, but like I think having 
three young guys in Mafe, Hall, and Taylor made any kind of really splashy move there pretty unlikely. And and so now they've brought in, you know, kind of just a rotational guy with Clark. And um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the defense is really good. And even before the entire defense was really good, that front seven was playing really well and stopping the run really well and everything. And so I can't imagine that, that, you know, John or anyone is looking at this team and thinking they need to go make some big splash. Yeah, I agree. I don't think there's I don't think they're going to feel compelled to need to do anything. But as I've been kind of reflecting on it, <laughs> we talked about how hard it is to find difference making defensive tackles. It's just a really hard position to find. And if I, I would just basically say they should always now be looking for ways to acquire a defensive tackle that they think is a difference maker. Um, and that if that's by trade and now's the time for whatever reason, there happens to be someone available and it's at a reasonable price. Great. I'd rather them be shopping when they don't like desperately need it and have to overpay, um, then, you know, uh, be in the other situation. And I also don't want them to be in a situation where they have to find one in the draft because it's freaking hard to, to find one. So that's my only caveat is like, if the giants are desperate and they're like, all right, Leonard Williams, we're not going to pay him. We'll give him to you for, you know, a fifth round pick or fourth round, pick. like some kind of crazy thing where we're always like, what do you mean that this team just acquired somebody great for nothing? Um, then I think they should, I think they should be in the market for a defensive tackle and just check the market. But I don't think that they should be overpaying for one. So uh, there's other news, other news with the Seahawks, um, a bunch of guys. So DK Metcalf's back. He's practicing until they uh, trade him. They are not trading him. As far as we know, it doesn't sound like that's likely Abe Lucas, not back. Uh, Pete Carroll did not give any updates. And I think the, and the news continues to seem like be pointing in the direction of bad news on that front. I am bracing for shutting him down. That's what I'm bracing for now. I'm bracing for he's not coming back this year. Uh, that's kind of the tone I think Pete Carroll started to take. Could turn right around, but I don't know. Are you guys you guys still having different vibes there? No, I mean, I th- I'm not expecting... I'll, I'll believe it when I see him back on the field, I guess. Um, I guess it's encouraging that they just haven't IR'd him. Um, cause they can do that pretty, I mean, like it's four weeks, right? Um, but no, I, I, it doesn't really look super positive there. Yeah. yeah. Jeff, you, you have any thoughts on the Abe Lucas situation? No, it seems like classic Pete where like a couple weeks ago he was talking like, oh, he should be back on the field soon. And then all of a sudden it's week 15 and say, oh, he's not going to make it back. Uh, and, you know, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Finish no, it doesn't seem – it seems pretty unlikely he'll be back. If he is, it won't be to like, the late stretch of the season at that point. I mean, if he comes back at any point in the season and comes back to stay, it's, it's big news. I mean, he can come back and – if the team's doing well enough to be in the playoffs and he can get back in week 10, like, great. Like, uh, I just don't have the sense that this is that kind of injury. <laughs> but we'll find out. Nathan, I did think of you today uh, with regard to this because the Browns are coming to town and they have a certain guy playing right tackle uh, that we talked about a fair amount in draft prep. Do you remember who this might be? 
He's a very big man. No, why am I spacing on this? Oh, wait, is it Juan Jones? Yeah. Has he been playing for them? He is their starting right tackle. Jack Conklin went down, and he has been playing tackle, and he's been playing extremely well for them. I'm not surprised in the least. I don't under he was he ended up being like a third round pick or something stupid. Fourth. Yeah. I didn't get that at all. Like yeah. The way that I, I I love this dude. So the way that and the way that I found him is watching pass rushers, and I was like, hey man, every time these guys play Ohio State, like these pass rushers suck, and I'm like, oh well, maybe there's a, a common theme here it's the huge right tackle that they can't ever get around uh like what bosky ended up from notre dame ended up being like a second round pick and he couldn't do anything against jones so this is terrible news for uh the the boy mafe hype train yeah we'll find out uh I- i'm curious jeff uh, uh anthony bradford was our fourth round pick am i remembering right yeah he was you know, if you could only have one, do you think the Seahawks would be better off having drafted Daywan Jones or having drafted Anthony Bradford? Daywan Jones. Uh, tackle is just a far more valuable position. And I've liked what I've seen from Bradford right now, but mm-hmm. like they were trying out a right tackle for most of the year, having a very capable guy. And if Lucas is that, yeah, if you can have a third tackle though, like that. That's a huge luxury. So for me, just attack all day. Yeah. I, I really like what we've seen from Anthony Bradford. No shade in his direction, but the whole season's trajectory and potential would be completely different if Daywan Jones was on the team. I don't think Anthony Bradford is that guy. Like just because of the position and, and the way he plays. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, going to be interesting. What's that? I was, was going to say, in fairness to them, they didn't know Abe Lucas was going to get hurt. But it sounds like actually they might have had an idea that his knee hasn't. Been it right. sure seems like that. This is a college injury, like something he's had. Uh, and I mean, he played all year last year, other than like one game. So it, it you know, they've had reason to think he was going to be okay. I. I don't think that's a reason to not draft a developmental tackle. You know, um, the, the, this is something we talked about a little bit after preseason. Like Jake Curran and Stone Forsythe, Forsythe looked awful this preseason. They did not look like NFL tackles. And Stone Forsythe has played okay. Like, I don't think he's played well, but he's played okay. He was like a, I want to say, fifth or sixth round pick. Like, he was a pretty late pick for them. I absolutely think it's worthwhile to be investing more in tackles. But, you know, I, I didn't fault. I was super excited about the Bradford pick and and something that they needed to make as well. So, I just think Daywan Jones is an interesting one. Um, what other news um, of the day? There's news that I'm not very excited about. Okay. I don't know if the escort just coming back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is news. D. Eskridge is coming back. I mean, we don't have to not be excited about it. Uh, is it, is it, do you think that there's an opportunity for D. Eskridge to even be active on, 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 like, forget, like, whether he can be ready for this weekend? Assume he's ready. Do you think there's a chance that he's on the active roster? It's just so hard to see where he gets snaps. They got with Bobo now, they got. If DK's back, they have four receivers. 
So then he's got to play on special teams and I just, I can't really see a, a role for him unless he's doing like a couple ender rounds a game. I don't know. Well, you, Nathan, you're a D Eskridge truther. Well, I'm not, I wouldn't say all that. <laughs> uh, I mean, the other thing that's hard is that DJ Dallas has looked pretty good uh, as a returner um, or fine at least. So I don't, Will he be active? I'm going to say no. I don't think he'll be active this week. Yeah. I I, I kind of go through these pieces. I mean, look, I, I've been pretty clear that I don't think Eskridge is, has, I mean, been a good player in the NFL and justified his draft spot. I don't think most people would be able to make the case that he has. It doesn't change the fact that it, I'm not blind to the fact that he is a good athlete and he does bring something that the rest of the receivers don't. And so I would love to believe that there's a role that Waldron has in mind where he could get five snaps in a game that are impactful. You know, um, I don't think Jake Bobo or JSN or Tyler, even at this point are really candidates for jet sweep kind of plays. They're just not those kind of players. Eskridge is. And, and like, if one of the biggest, I think, stories of this year in terms of innovation and the way offenses are moving are motion at the snap. Um, it's not just motion prior to the snap. It is motion at the snap. And yes, there's been teams that have been doing this for decades, but it is teams that are doing it at incredibly high rates like Miami um, that are top of the league in terms of offense, uh, the, the, uh, 49ers also do this quite a bit. If Eskridge could be part of that story and just do it a little bit and have some effect on a game, I'm all for it. Um, if that means that Cody Thompson isn't active, you know, as a fifth receiver, I'm good with that. Um, even if it means a little bit less on special teams. Um, I, I don't know if that'll mode, happen though. Like if you're talking like three, four five plays for like D, I mean, you just have, so many mouths to feed on this offense. You've got mm-hmm. Kenny Mac- McIntosh. Uh, you've got <laughs> no, but you've got you've got Walker. You've got DK. You got Tyler. They can't figure out how to get the ball to JSN unless DK's out. You've got three tight ends who are playing really well. Like, why are you gonna take any plays and be like, here we go? We got a T one up for D Eskridge. Like, yeah. Uh, it, it is only if they think that they're going to gain some advantage or leverage from doing so and cause some, the defense to have to be stressed in a way that they otherwise wouldn't be. Um, so, I, I mean, I would like that. I would like them to be able to use all their weapons and for D Eskridge to be a playmaker that adds something to an offense that needs as much help as it can get right now. I don't know if I believe that's going to happen, but I wouldn't be opposed to seeing them try. Um, but I don't know. I really, I, I, it is a mystery to me what they're going to end up doing there because I think they want to find a way to use him as well. I also think that they don't feel, I think, I think they don't feel obligated to do that the way that they have in the past years. I think they were like moved on. Um, so Eskridge is going to have to really just absolutely earn it um, for, for him to get a chance. So I think that's a good, generally a good place for things to be. Um, Nathan, in just a few minutes, I think we're going to turn our attentions to patron questions. If you want to start getting ready with those, sure. uh, 
other things that happened today or any other news, Jeff, that I'm missing in terms of who's come back. So Evan Brown's going to be back. He's, he's playing center yeah. again, thankfully. Uh, Phil Haynes did not practice. We already talked about Abe Lucas is not practiced. Jason Peters officially is on the practice field and Pete said is practicing to play. He did not specify whether it was guard or tackle. Uh, I saw Stone Forsyth played okay in this game against the Cardinals. My guess is that that's who will be the right tackle. Do either of you think Jason Peters will supplant Stone Forsyth at right tackle? No for Nathan. Probably not. I think they I think they liked what they got there, but <laughs> the difference between the Cardinals defensive line and the Browns defensive line could be further apart. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they try him at guard. They were that's officially where they had last been trying him. And if they like the way Stone played, uh, and Phil Haynes is out, Anthony Bradford will probably play. Uh, Damian Lewis sounds like he's he's going to be playing. So I don't know. Like I don't know if they'll just have him active. But personally, I would be excited. Is maybe too strong of a word? I would like to see them try him at right tackle. I like Stone Forsyth did not play well enough where I'm like, oh, we're set. I'd like to see if Jason Peters offers anything more. And if he doesn't, fine. Take him out and put Stone Forsyth in. But otherwise, like, I don't know. I think he probably doesn't play unless they decide to play him at right tackle, is my guess. I just um, can't. Um, I imagine that if Peters looked like he was the better option in practice, they would play him. Like, uh, this isn't one where, like, uh, like, oh, he's being blocked. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I think I think if he looked at all interesting, I think he would be playing. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, they've been basically saying there's been some injury things that have kept him, and he's finally, like, ready for, for a game. Mm. And they had been playing him at guard. And so, and then he had been tackled, and they moved him to guard. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, there's one thing you said that made me think of something else and I, I spaced on it, but, but I'll, I'll come back to it. I, I just, if Abe Lucas is going to be out for a while, then I, I'd rather them just keep trying to find who's the best possible right tackle. Um, and, and even if it means like Raekwon Jones, like who is it? Uh, not Raekwon O'Neal. I, I think, I think, that, is, I think right. that is. Yeah. Like there's a couple guys that they added. I wouldn't mind them trying some of those guys too, <laughs> but It'll probably be Stone Forsyth. Um, anything else news-wise? Not for the Seahawks, but uh, PJ Walker will be starting for the Browns, right? Yes, PJ Walker will be starting for the Browns. Ethan Posick revenge game. Uh, so yeah, I think uh, those are those are all. That'd be two. Uh, Seattle's two second-round picks from that season facing off. Jaron Reed and Easton Posick uh, opposite each other. That is yeah. that is right. Yeah, that is right. Um, okay, uh, let's go ahead and take some Patreon questions. Um, I'm going to hand it to Nathan for that. Again, Patreon.com/slash/HawkLogger gets you access. Now is the time to get on it. Get consider joining the Ring of Honor. You won't regret it. We would love to take you out to dinner uh, right around Thanksgiving. It'll be fun. Uh, patreon.com slash talk blogger and give the show a like if you haven't so nathan 
take us through some of these questions. Um, all right. Uh, Kalyan wants to know, uh, with Noah Subin out, do you guys see our run defense uh, performing bad again because Daryl Taylor doesn't know how to set an edge? Brian, I feel like this one is teed up for you. <laughs> uh, well, I mean... I think it would let's let's imagine a situation where they don't have Frank Clark and they're just having to to play Daryl Taylor and Derek Hall on that side. Um I do think it it has an effect on the run defense, but I don't think it's like the end of the world. Um Daryl Taylor played for most of that game against the Cardinals. Uh I, I think it it hurt a couple plays, but I don't think they're going to keep running at that specific spot and I think a lot of the other parts of where the run defense was terrible last year have been addressed. So it's easier to scheme around one weakness in your run defense than to scheme around an entire defense that can't tackle or play the run. So I think it's a pretty different year in that regard. Uh, Jeff, Michael Mathis wants to know, uh, the Seahawks managed to keep Aiden Hutchinson from sacking Gino. Will they keep Miles Garrett from sacking him? No, probably not. Um, their plan with Hutchinson was one of the more shocking results of the year. And I'm still not quite sure how that's happened because he's basically dominated every other game he's played. Garrett's been the best defensive player in the league by a pretty considerable margin. And they're just flying him around. And if Forsyth is at right tackle the whole game, I, I just don't see them having a plan to stop him. And I, I hope I'm wrong, but... This guy's just been every game I've watched, he's made these plays that just he's a freak athlete, and now he's got the best coach he's ever had, and the best scheme he's ever had, and the best teammates he's ever had. I don't think they they're gonna I don't think they're gonna hold him off this the step change. I mean, if if you haven't as a fan, if you have not looked up Miles Garrett pictures, just look up Miles Garrett, click on images. He is DK Metcalf level ripped at like 290 pounds i mean it is absolutely otherworldly what kind of athlete he is uh and <laughs> the power the speed the fact that he's doing like fake basketball crossovers because the game's so easy for him that he can just taunt opposing offensive linemen about what he's about to do laterally uh you know power like it's all there he's a cheat code so um no i mean let's just hope that he doesn't have two sacks with two strip sacks and a block field goal like he did last week um Brian, you brought this up in the group chat this week. Uh, Eric wants to know, do you uh, think the Seahawks would be better served trying to re-sign Jordan Brooks or look at linebacker in free agency or draft next year? Man, Jeff, you and I both had this conversation and what a week to have it because <laughs> I, I felt very, very solid in our conversation that Jeff and I had about this last week, which was that's not the position for the team to dump top of the market money. Like you don't want to get in another situation where you're spending the majority of your cap dollars on positions that are not high impact positions. Like safety was a position they had done that with 
there's other positions that they've overpaid for like middle linebacker had been something where Bobby was eventually, he was making like 19 million and they were like, we can't do that anymore. They need to invest in the defensive line. They need to invest in the offensive line. I still believe all of that. And Jordan Brooks just played the best game of his career. And that was the first time I have seen a player that was like, Oh, okay, he's going to be an impact player that is going to change the course of a game as opposed to just a really good linebacker that's very talented. So if he keeps doing that, then I think my calculus may change. Like if, if he becomes a blue chip level player, if he's playing Fred Warner light, you know, level linebacker, then I think you do have to to basically say, okay, we've got him. He's working in our system, and and he's a young player, and you keep him. Um, I don't love that from a roster perspective, but I love adding blue chips. So it's kind of I'm all over the place, but that that's that's where I'm at with Jordan Brooks. Uh, Jeff Richie wants to know: Does Jake Bobo make DK tradable? I don't think so. I, I think that's getting way too excited. Uh, listen, you gotta love Jake Bobo. He's been way beyond anything you could have ever imagined. And it's, it's hitting. It's not just preseason stuff. He's winning on all kinds of different routes. And the catch he made last week was one of the coolest plays I've ever seen in the game. DK wouldn't uh, make that catch. He wouldn't. He would not. But I still think I'm starting to wonder about Tyler Lockett and how much he has left. And I, th- I think having that DK around, I think it's really important just the, the building of this roster going forward. But the, the three receivers with like last game look totally fine. They, they, they don't need probably $25 million at receiver, if we're being honest, the way they're playing right now. But I think we sometimes we get ahead of ourselves and forget how good DK has been and what he can do relative to the other talents they have. What would you need to get back? To trade DK, Brian. If if somebody calls with a like a first round pick, that's you know very likely to be like a top twenty pick. I think I'd really consider that. I mean, I, I think like a first and a second is like an easy choice to me at this point. Um, I admittedly have been intrigued by some of the opportunities to trade like for like at 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 a trade for another young player, a similar age to DK that is at least as good as at their position as DK is, but at a position that you have a bigger need like defensive end or defensive tackle. Brian Burns is like, he's definitely similar age, debatable whether he's similar, you know, level as DK as a receiver. I think there's some folks that think Brian Burns is top seven edge rush uh, some people that wouldn't i don't think anybody would say dk is a top seven receiver so um no. in any event like some of those are interesting to me to at least like debate about but it's not gonna happen i mean no. I, I think he's he's here he's not going anywhere um brian jason keffer wants to know how much energy and juice has Jamal added to this defense? What kind of juice? Is it orange juice? Do we have adding apple juice to it? I think it's like a Capri Sun tropical punch kind of juice. Like, you know, hopefully it lasts a little longer. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, you know what? what, Honestly, 
I've not been has not been the juice that he's added that's that's been of note to me. It is how under control he's actually been. He seems like just a sage, competent out there that is doing all the right things. He's in all the right places. He's assignment correct. He's making great tackles. He's not making any mistakes and he's 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 making some impact plays. So in some ways, he just seems a little bit more mature, even though he seems as long as he's not around a concussion doctor, uh, <laughs> he seems he seems like, uh, I don't know, a little more under control in some weird way. The it's concussion doctor thing, thing is, is <laughs> I laugh, but that's actually I don't know what his deal is. It's the crappy deal. I don't, I don't I will say if the only thing he did in Cincinnati was what we saw in video, that seems pretty weak. Did you maybe, see the video? I didn't see it, but maybe because I it was back to back week. Yeah, he's basically like, he's all right, he's all right. He, he didn't like physically intimidate the guy, and it wasn't like I don't know if that's all he did. I think it's pretty bullshit, but whatever. Uh, Jeff Derek Woods wants to know where is Cleveland's defense most vulnerable? I assume you've watched more of them. I mean, definitely more than I probably have. I only watched that Niner game. Have you watched many of their games? I saw a little bit of them last week. Not too much before. Their front seven is pretty pretty good. Their front four is especially good right now. Um, I think the areas you can get them are in, in the secondary. It's, their corners can be had. And their safeties are decent, but they're not incredible. But it all comes down to can you protect and get enough time to throw but like Indianapolis had plays where they were getting they had they struggled a lot last week, like with RPO when guys would get outside, like Minshew was doing a lot of stuff to get Taylor in space last week, and they couldn't really defend it. And then once they were able to open that up, like they had trouble tackling. Their issue last week was tackling. Like Josh Downs and Michael Pittman had huge catches where they just were short plays that turned into big plays because they can get down the field. So if you can just hold up and kind of move them around and get them in space and they Indianapolis used that RPO game to do it, even though they had a bunch of turnovers, they pretty much put 40 points on those guys last week. And it was, Dan Orlovsky actually did a video on it of like four areas. They were really struggling with last week and was getting them in space. Their corners are not good tacklers. And if you can get, like maybe that's where you see maybe a, a D Eskridge where he can help because this Seattle's not typically a good yards after catch team or a Kenneth Walker thing, like maybe you can get him in space, but that's really where they're vulnerable. Um, go ahead, Brent. You're still muted. Sorry, my my, my cursor is on a different screen. Um, Humor moment. Uh, you know how we made this big deal about the Seahawks' last three opponents being held under 250 yards of offense and that, that the Seahawks hadn't done that since 2015? It's like pretty momentous thing. The Browns have only allowed three teams to gain over 250 yards this season. And they've had two teams that they've held under 150 yards. They held, I didn't realize this. They held the Titans to 94 yards of offense. 94. That's insane. Like, I don't care. Like, there's dominance. And then there's like, 
you basically should not come back and play again after that. Like you've been, you've been put in a corner. Um, so the fact that the, that Gardner Minshew put up 456 yards of offense is um, this just a big backdoor way to hype up Gardner Minshew? <laughs> it is not. No, right, we're, we're moving on. We're moving on. I do, no. but that, that is a side point. It is it is bizarre to me that that's that offense is the one that put up thirty eight points in four. Like that's just odd. So the fact of the matter is the the the, the three teams that have have had over two hundred fifty yards of offense, which is not much. Two of those teams have beaten the the Browns, and one of those teams is the Colts, who lost by one point with 15 seconds to go. So, like, the Matt's the magic number. Like, get 250 yards of offense, which is like no problem, right? Like, should be able to do that. Uh, well, on that note, uh, Sam Brown wants to know, Brian, what's one offensive change, scheme, or personnel you'd like to see going forward? Uh, for fix specifically for fixing the red zone offense woes. Well, Nathan will appreciate this answer. I, I feel More like absolutely, <laughs> yeah, to some extent, I, I, I think they are not going to fix the red zone woes until they're able to run more effectively in the red zone. And some of that's play calling. Some of that is personnel grouping. Bobo is the best run blocking receiver in the NFL. And I think plays a part there. Um, I think that, I mean, look at this last week. They had a touchdown. It was on the one yard line. They ran Kenneth Walker up the middle. He almost scored. It wasn't like he got blown back. And then they get cute with a shotgun run with, with motion and guys moving around and lose two yards uh, on that play. Like if they had run the exact same play they'd run the time before, they, they have like, a, I think a higher probability. So I just think there's some odd decisions that they've made. Um, that's probably the biggest thing. And I think it also might mean involving the tight ends a little bit more, not necessarily always targeting DK or Tyler in those situations, but finding ways to, to hit a Colby Parkinson or someone else over the middle. Are you worried about Tyler at all? I mean, I'm glad you brought, I mean, I, I think I asked this a week or two ago. I can't remember if it was on a pod or in a chat somewhere, but for, by my eyes, he has lost a step. That that's like I don't think he's as sudden. I don't think he's getting behind guys in the same way. So yeah, I I don't I think we might be seeing a decline uh, for Tyler Lockett. What about you? I don't know that. I feel like he that 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 uh, the end zone situations are just concerning to me i feel like he typically would have won on that uh that or the yeah that red zone pass um but i don't know i don't know it's it's hard to say and, and he could be nicked up a tiny bit or something that could be part of it too so yeah um uh professor crockett wanted to know about the well i guess we can talk about this a little bit um what is the peak what is the best Seahawks offensive line uh, if Lucas isn't back to 100% this season. Um, and so he throws out some options here. All of them have Cross and Lewis on the, the left side. 
And then some combination of Brown at center, Olu at center, Brown at guard, uh, or if Brown's at center, then you have Haynes, Bradford at guard. Do you have any like strong preference here on maybe setting aside the right tackle position? Because we've talked about that quite a bit already. But how that center and, and right guard position, what like the ideal combination is there? I guess, Jeff, I'll start with you on this. I don't want Brown at guard. Uh, he was considerably worse in Detroit when he played guard. And he's been mostly fine at center. But at the same time, Olu's been really steady. Olu's been is not a, like, not a flashy guy by any means, but he's just been workmanlike. He's gotten the job done. But I think right now, I think Brown is ideally – he's probably a little ahead of Olu. Um, and – like Haynes has been banged up all year, so we haven't really seen much. So I might be better just to kind of let Bradford with his upside as a run blocker. I might be more pro Bradford at this point, given his ceiling relative to what Haynes has been just fine. I think I agree. Like the Olu Brown thing, I mean, maybe start to lean Olu there just because of the youth and everything. But in terms of Haynes and Bradford, I, I just want to see Bradford at this point. Like I don't think Haynes was so much better that you want to block a rookie here. Uh, Brian, you're the resident Haynes lover. So do you have, do you feel different here? I mean, Haynes has been the best guard on the team when healthy. He hasn't been healthy for a few weeks and he's not been good when he's not been healthy. Uh, depending on how you feel about um, pass block win rates and run block win rates, Phil Haynes shows up in the top 10 in all of the NFL among all interior linemen, centers, and guards in both categories. Um, nobody else on the Seahawks other than Evan Brown, you know, shows up on either one of those lists. Um, Phil Haynes is a much better pass protector. So if you think that that's part of what you need, and especially if you're going to having a right tackle who's struggling at all with pass protection, I think it does matter to have Bradford struggles more there. But I think you both are right. Like, Bradford long term is good. Haynes, I think, is only on one year deal. I think the news that's interesting here. I don't. Th- I don't want Olu to play this year. I think Evan Brown's clearly better, but I think there's reason to believe that Olu, with a year of, you know, full, you know, conditioning work and being able to like have a full off season, if he can add some strength to his already effective pass blocking and become a better run blocker. I think we got our starting center. Like, I think that's, I think that could be pretty cool. So I, I think he has not been Joey hunt in there or somewhere where you're like, Oh my God, like, how are we going to survive with this guy in, in the game? We can, we can win games with him. All right. Last question. And I'll, I'll throw this up to both of you, Jeff, we can start with you, but Braxton wants to know through the first six games of the season, which free agency move has looked like the biggest mistake for Seattle. Biggest mistake. Well, give me a second to think about this. Um, Let's list who who are they? Who are the free yeah, agents? Evan Brown, Jaron Reed, Jaron Reed, Edwards, right. yeah, Julian Love, Julian Love, Bobby, Devin Bush, Draymond Jones, Draymond Jones. I think it might have to be Draymond Jones. Just the amount of money they are paying him, and he's not bad, but 
they made a pretty sizable commitment to him and I don't know that he's living up to it or looks like he will really live up to it. He's Not that he's pretty close to Javon Hargrave money. Yeah. Right. Uh, I don't recall, but yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's yeah. close. Yeah. So right. Um, like, do you think that he's like in the conversation for having the impact that Javon Hargrave is having? Has Hargrave played well? He has. He has not. Yeah. He doesn't have all the counting numbers that you'd like to yeah. see, but from a pressure perspective, he has been top five interior line and you know, defensive lineman. Um, no, I, yeah, I think it has to be him. I'm again. He's he's pretty much what I thought he was. He's a solid player. He can break through double teams. He's not a blue chip player, and that's what happens when you dive into free agency battles and. They got caught in a bidding war once they got bid out for Zach Allen, who's been pretty quiet in Denver. And this is who Draymond Jones is. He's not a flashy player. He's a workman-like guy. He can break double teams. And he's like a lot of the players who talk about him really, really like him. But he's not a blue-chip Javon Hargrave. So if when you list all those guys out, they pretty, they've done pretty well. Julian Love's really turned around. He, he looked awful to start the season. Uh, Evan Brown's been really steady at center. Is I mean, Devin Bush that, was the sorry. Go ahead. Nathan. I was gonna say, is there anyone that left that should like? I guess a free agent uh, move could be letting somebody walk. No, I think they did really good in that area. Rashad Penny, Marquise Goodwin, Puna Ford, Cody Barton, Cody Barton. Yeah, yeah. yeah Puna's uh, getting crushed in Buffalo right now. Uh, he played extensive snaps last week, and they had their worst game and lost to Mac Jones and. Shelby Harris revenge game this week. By the way, he's coming back with Cleveland as well. Yeah, Shelby Harris was fine. He's been pretty steady with them, but they got Mario Edwards for like a fraction of the price of what they're getting him, and they their numbers are almost identical. So, I think bringing back Drew Locke has to be up there because I'm tired of the stupid bench Geno discourse. People out there oh, pretending like they need on. to see Drew Locke. That's a, that's he's going to say. Geno is a free agent. True. Uh, uh, well, it, I still think the Geno contract, like you can have your issues with Geno, but the fact that like you look at Daniel Jones, what's happening with him where they're stuck with him for three years. And the Geno thing for me is still one of the best contracts we've seen a quarterback do. Like you're giving them that second look and we're going to know by the end of this stretch of games they have coming up, what this guy is. And if he can bring it back to lovely was last year, then you're thrilled to have him. And if not, you have a clean out. If he doesn't, if he, if this is just what he is for the whole year, like I don't think he should be benched. I think the Drew Lock stuff is really dumb. Oh, but there is going to be discourse about whether they need, to, they should get out of that contract. Or oh not. yeah, I don't, I don't oh, know. That's a fair conversation. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know what my answer is on it. Yeah, yeah. It's tricky, man. Was Jason Myers uh, a free? Yeah, agent? Jason Myers. That's probably the worst. That thing. is my answer. I think that is the worst fucking decision i'm so pissed that they paid him the what and it's not just to troll evan i i like it drives me nuts that we've got what four or five million invested in a kicker and ah oh, man i'm never gonna get over that what'd you say nick Ballor. oh uh, nick Ballor. that's an that's a that's right up there too yeah you on the team yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like eight million after those two. Uh um, yeah, that's a good question. I like that question. Um 
All right, I think that's probably... Oh, uh, Bill J wants to know, why don't they seem interested in DJ Fluker? Um, mm. I I think that they went to the scrap heap of vets and they decided it was Jason Peters. And so as long as they have him around... I mean, I don't know if anyone has a strong opinion about bringing DJ Fluker back, but like, I don't think he was... He was more sizzled and steak when he was here in seattle i mean he was a fun character and he you know did okay but i i don't think there's any big mystery here with why he's not highly sought after yeah i mean like if if you're talking about jake curhan or dj fluker i'm like okay i'm interested (laughs) at least in uh checking out checking that out but the reality is you know, us fans seeing guys like DJ Fluker in the weight room and how ripped he is and how hard he's working. That's one thing, but the teams know, like they know whether these guys are worth bringing in or not for the most part. And if they're not bringing him in and he played for the team before they have a prior relationship, then you pretty much can be sure. He's just not, he's not an NFL player anymore. And the Seahawks really, I feel like they fly under the radar for this a little bit, but they love to bring guys back. They do. They they have their guy like Frank Clark, um, and so the fact that they're not they're not sniffing him probably tells you all you need to know. Yeah, yep, a hundred percent. Well, thank you, Nathan. Thanks, patrons, for those questions. Patreon.com/slash Hawkblogger. You guys can ask us questions too if you sign up. We answer them every week. This show might go a little long. Are you guys good for a while? Are you guys got to jump anytime soon? I may have to bail. You. Uh, let Shortly. me know what like uh how, how much longer do you got nathan uh 15 20 minutes okay cool 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 all right let, let's see how we go a couple topics i want to get to before we get into predictions um we will let you give a prediction before you go if, if we're not if we're not at that point nathan but um first do you think the offense functioned at all better without dk and i'm going to leave it open-ended you can say ah that's crap crap no i didn't think at all did you see any signs that the offense seemed to function better without DK? Um, Nathan, I'll start with you. I don't think so. Um, I don't think they functioned better, but I also don't think they functioned worse. Mm-hmm. Like It didn't seem to be a big... I, I don't know. I didn't find myself being like, oh, if only... DK was here. I mean, the offense has been kind of poopy for a few weeks now. And I think one of their issues to me is they don't like there. There's no cohesion or like purpose of the offense. Like yeah. they're not like, it's not like, oh, it's Pete Carroll and he wants to pound you with the football. Like they run a fair bit, but it's not like this is some point they're trying to make. It's not, you know, the Russell offense where they want to take shots deep. It's not, it's not really anything. It, and it kind of like, it will change throughout the game. Like the sum is less or the, the, the sum is less than the the parts and the parts are super visible. Like they look like, you had multiple people like what is that whole there's a whole thing about like 
I don't know if you have multiple multiple people design an animal. That's how you end up with the camel or whatever that thing is. Like you're like, oh, it's the JSN offense. They're doing the JSN offense. Like oh, they got the the weird tight end formation. They're doing that. Oh, and it's like, and it kind of works, but then it fizzles, and they don't have any way to make it all come together into anything. And so I don't think losing DK like ended up mattering all that much because they still had all these just like funky parts that they're trying to find ways to fit together. And they just had one less of those parts. And so it, it all still felt disjointed and disconnected and weird. I don't know. I don't know if anyone else feels the same way about this offense, that it just feels so like all these little unique parts that they can't. I think you, you put it really well, Jeff. Yeah, you? you nailed that. That's exactly what's going on. Yeah, I mean, think about think about the 49ers and how many weapons they've got. You know, Kittle, Ayuk, Debo, who's now out, CMC, you know, you can go on and on, right? And that was a conversation. Like, Kittle would go weeks without being targeted um, in a game that much. And then Ayuk would be the key, and then and and Debo wasn't getting utilized enough. And it was like a constant thing because they had so many weapons but you have someone like kyle shanahan um orchestrating and being effective the whole way whatever he was whatever he was choosing to emphasize generally was working to some extent it feels like waldron has not been able to figure out how to utilize the pieces he has to really disadvantage the defense right and the one out i'll give him is the offensive line like, I don't think we can like it, it's it's like that saying of like, you notice the water until you're in it. And then you like eventually just like you don't realize you're underwater. Like we don't have our offensive line. We have not had an offensive line the whole year, <laughs> like uh, literally 60 percent out almost all the time. So, like, I think that that has real impact. But it still does feel like they don't know how to use guys totally here, and especially receivers. And I think the one of the best things that you said was, I don't know that you'd say that they were better, but they pretty clearly were not worse. And I do think that says something about DK Metcalf. Uh, I think when Tyler Lockett has been out in past years, it was immediately noticeable whether it was Russell or Gino, the quarterback play declined because of the type of receiver Russ, uh, uh, Tyler is. It sucks that DK is not like, remember that game in the, in the playoffs against Philly in Philly where he goes for like 140. He was like almost all of the offense. They could not stop him. That's my vision of what DK should be. Not every game, but that should be, every like five games like i don't think it's crazy that if they go against some bad secondary that he should be able to put up 145 and two touchdowns like he's not that guy right now and i i you know so that that's that's why when you talk about the trade stuff um i'm more open to it than i've been um i still don't think it'll happen but i hope he comes back and just does exactly what Jordan Brooks did a week after we kind of talked a little badly about him, but I think it's an issue. And I, I think, I think Dino uh, Gino looked more comfortable distributing the ball to whoever was open and was less likely to force some things 
Um, although he still did worse. Um, all right. Other thing that I wanted to talk about that you started at the beginning. Um, I didn't want to turn it into a 49ers podcast uh, at the beginning. But the other news, if people didn't hear, is Brock Purdy's in the concussion protocol. Uh, if you haven't seen, I saw this hit live uh, during that game against Minnesota. They did a quarterback sneak, and he took an absolute headshot and kept playing. It's kind of amazing. Maybe maybe he had already intimidated the concussion doctor, and that's why he wasn't pulled off to the side. But I was like, <laughs> how is he not being checked out? That guy was destroyed. So he's in the concussion protocol. According to a lot of guys, uh, like Adam Schefter and stuff like that, Ian Rappaport, I think almost no player that's been entered in the concussion protocol plays that week. So the expectation he's not going to play this week. Um, 49ers fans, like not less the fans, but the media, they're already talking about the brand. The, the, the 49ers lost two games in a row. Purdy's not looked great collectively in either of those games together. They're already talking. I heard a conversation just before I got on about should they trade for Kirk Cousins right now? They've got the cap space. Should they trade for Kirk Cousins? And should they include Bach Purdy in that deal? I think they should. I am strongly in favor of it. Why? You're being facetious, but why, why are you being facetious? Why do you think that that's a bad bad idea for them? Well, I don't I guess Kirk's on the last year of his deal, is he? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, fine. Whatever. Uh, Their logic, by the way, was they've got the cap room now, and if you're planning on signing him next year anyway, then why not get him this year and you have a better chance to win a Super Bowl, which I don't think is wrong. Yeah, do it. Go give up some capital. Give, go to to give a lot of money to Kirk Cousins. Sure, that'll work out great for them. I mean, Jeff, here's the thing. That won't – it's not going to happen. No, I, I don't no. think Kirk Cousins is getting moved. But what that means is there's already recognition that Brock Purdy can't win them a Super Bowl this year or is maybe not the guy that two weeks ago was MVP. Yeah, which I thought was one of the dumbest conversations of the year. Um, listen, we can all acknowledge Brock Purdy was playing very well, and his efficiency numbers were through the roof. And yet, to say he's the most valuable player in the league and more valuable than Patrick Mahomes is absurd. Um, and now there's conversations that, like, if you take Debo Samuel away, all of a sudden, well, that's why he's struggling. So you're telling me the most valuable player in the league. If you take Debo Samuel away and doesn't have five pro bowlers, he's not good anymore. I don't understand how uh, the, the narrative around this guy is insane. But yeah, like we've seen sort of moments in the last two weeks where he has not been, he turned the ball over last week and they're going to say now it's because of the concussions that came right before his two interceptions, but he made losing plays there and in games they could have won. And we saw like, he's been, he was solid. He was very efficient, but he had one touchdown pass and it was on a screen pass that Christian McCaffrey did all the work. And we haven't seen him elevate guys since his team of super all-stars happened to go away. And Trent, like he's got Trent Williams, all-star tight end, all-star receiver, all-star running back. Ayuk, 
Everyone's like, he's got no weapons. Like, he's got Christian McCaffrey, a you can kill him. That's better no, than people really say that he has no weapons. <laughs> people are saying, like, he took Trent Williams away. Like, how is he supposed to function? Like, I'm sorry, the best left half on the league. You have to play one game without him. But yeah, and I think we're seeing there's there's been cracks on their defense too. Yes. Is, you know, yes. the NFL needs sorry, uh, go ahead. Let's let's shit on no, that. No, no, no. I want to I want to hear where you're going with this. The NFL has like a quarterback problem. I was telling my buddy that the other day. I got a buddy who every day is texting me like the Seahawks need a bench Geno Smith. He's a Seahawks fan. I sent them the QBR list of yeah. the rankings. Like Basically from 17 down, everyone sucks. Not even from 17 down. Like, who are the top five quarterbacks in the NFL right now? Patrick oh, Jackson, Patrick Lamar Mahomes, Jackson. um Allen Burrow. Allen yeah. Burrow, sure, but Burrow's kind of been he hasn't had a good year, but I, I think year. he's on the Burrow list. Hasn't had a good year. Tua, like, yeah, Tua's Tua. been awesome, but that offense hurts. Hurts hasn't been great, but there Hurts is like a dollar store Russell Wilson. Will Will Levis. Gardner yeah, Minshew. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Gardner Minshew. Uh, Desmond Ritter, if we're gonna go back to like draft fires <laughs> and stuff. No, but like what? Like Tyrod and, Taylor. Like who Kirk Cousins is number two in, in the NFL in yards right now. And I mean, like he looked the best I've ever seen him look in this game, by the way. That was yeah. the best. I oh. thought he was excellent in that. You know what game. you know what it is. Shanny tanked this game. He he wanted all the the Niners fans to get excited about Cousins. So when he trades for him or signs him, oh, they, all they remember is when he shredded him. Ah. The Galaxy Brain meme. Yep, yep. Because <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I was obviously I enjoyed the hell out of that game on on Monday night. That was so fun. I, I I'm embarrassed to admit it a little bit. I think I've admitted it to you before, Jeff, but there are moments where I enjoy the 49ers losing more than I enjoy Seahawks winning. I, I, that's a horrible thing to say, I, but I just get so much pleasure out of watching the 49ers suffer. That was really fun Monday night. Yeah, if you're a spiteful person at all, <laughs> and I'm certainly one of them, you get more joy out of other people's failure than you do your own success. And I hate to say it. I, I made noises and yells that I have not made during any Seahawks game when pretty through the interception. Yeah. Oh my God. I, I kept thinking that game was like that the 49ers are gonna come back and win. And and, and like they had every chance to. Shut up. I, I loved that their their kicker missed another field goal and like the 49ers fans are like, oh my God, it's in his head. Uh, I loved that Purdy had two chances to win the game and threw two picks, and now that's all in their heads. And I guess what it comes down to, I've got to own, I've been the most intimidated by the 49ers. I've been way out and saying in, in the preseason, I was like, not only do I think this team's the best team, I think Purdy could be the best quarterback in the NFC. I said that. Um, it's on record. I, you know after they were five and zero, I was like, this is a team that could realistically go undefeated. I think they're that good. They've lost two in a row since then. So like, I've been gleefully wrong about them guys. If Purdy doesn't play Sam Darnold plays this weekend, they're going to be playing against who, who are they Bengals. playing? 
sorry? Cincinnati. The Bengals, right. I think there's a reasonable chance that the Bengals win that game. The 49ers, the Seahawks have not lost two games in a row this year. The 49ers have. They could be on the precipice of losing three games in a row. And if the Seahawks beat the Browns, what does the uh, NFC West standings look like Sunday? The Seahawks are moving to first place. Had the Seahawks beaten Cincinnati, which they should have, they would be in first place right now. I know. This is, that's freaking bizarre. You don't think that's bizarre? Like the Seahawks are not better than the 49ers. Oh. Do you, oh, Nathan? Nathan? Oh, I don't know. Say what's on your mind. I don't think they're better, but I don't know. Yeah. I, I still think we, I mean, clearly we built that Niner team up a little bit too much. I don't know. If we, I honestly don't know if we did. I, I, I think. I hope we did. I hope that this isn't just like a little blip and that they don't become juggernauts again after it. Um, but what I what I will say is. I think I saw some stat in that game that this was the first time Purdy had been down um, by more than 10 points since he's started. Like does that sound right. I don't know. There's some stat that flashed up. He did not look like a guy that could bring a team back in a pressure type moment against a great defense. Vikings aren't even a great defense, but they're a decent defense and they're playing very well that night. If you project the 49ers into the playoffs, into a Super Bowl, I I now have like way more doubts than I did that that their team as constituted right now should be Super Bowl favorites. I, I think that that's, that's my takeaway. Go ahead, Jeff. Jeff. I was going to say, the thing that's been shocking to me is their defense. And Justin Jefferson was out for the Vikings last week, and they looked leaky. They, they didn't get they, – they had one of their lowest, like, pass rush wins. It was, you think of they got Bosa and Armstead and Randy Gregory and Hargrave. And they couldn't, they had no sacks on, and they had on their lower like pressure rates. And now you got Shannon calling out his defensive coordinator in public for calling the all out blitz. And their corners didn't play particularly well. And their fans are all up in arms about Steve Wilkes. And a couple weeks ago, he was like Mm -hmm. a god to them. If they just look at, and they haven't been able to tackle really the last three or four weeks, if they're not special on defense, to me, that changes a lot of what their ceiling was. Because what made them so scary, obviously, how good their offense was, but they had, like, the Legion of Boom defense with those guys. And I think they'll be fine, obviously. They have so much talent, and the Vikings did a great job on Bosa. I don't think other teams have the tackles to do that. But when their defense isn't taking over the game, they look way – they just don't look nearly as scary. I, I think you're right. I thought it was also interesting how Dre Greenlaw and Fred Fred um, Warner, who are great linebackers, were getting abused by TJ Hawkinson over the middle of the field time and again. And I thought Dre Greenlaw looked like he was hurt a few different times and was playing through it. Uh, so a secret about the 49ers, even with Nick Bosa, their pass rush has not always been that good or consistent. And if you look at the numbers right now, 
that pass rush is not nearly as ferocious as you would think it would be when you've got Eric Armstead, Hargrave, Bosa. Now they've added Randy Gregory. They've got other guys. They have not been able to get home. Um, Nick Bosa sitting there with two and a half sacks uh, and a lot of money. So it is interesting. It's gotten, it's made the it's season more interesting and fun. Um, but I did want to spend a minute on that before we get to previewing this game. Um, Sorry, can, I, can I interrupt with just a totally random ass thing? Of course. I'm, I'm looking, I'm staring at these uh, NFL quarterbacks. Uh, okay. <clears throat> Daniel Jones is second in it's the second most sacked quarterback in the nfl he's been sacked 28 times famously 11 times by the seahawks uh he's second sam howell is first the most sacked quarterback do you know how many how many times sam howell has been sacked in seven games he's at 28 35 low what 40 40 times he's been sacked in seven games. The man is on pace to be sacked oh. over 80 times this That's season. That's got to be a record. Yeah, David yeah. Carr was like the all-time. Like, and he was like 60-something, right? That's wild. I hadn't heard that. That's a cool story. I don't know if TFR is lying to me or not, but uh, yeah, 40 sacks. Two mini sacks, if you ask me. I mean, I remember when we talked about their seasons, Russell had like 40 or 45 sacks on the year and that he was sacked was way too much. <laughs> yeah, that's not like a million. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's Russell Wilson is fourth with 20 already. Uh, Who is? Russ? Yes. Yeah, Russ. He's yeah. right wow. in line with his career numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's Gino? Anyway, Gino. Uh, all right, well, guess while I find him on the list. Gino's probably top 10 actually top 10 in most or in least least uh well there's a lot of players here that have that shouldn't be counting but he's 21st he's been sacked 13 times i said 12 so there we go yeah um all right let's let's talk about this game a little bit um nathan if you have to go quickly then we'll just take your prediction and let you run if you have a few minutes we can talk a little bit about this matchup and what has to happen um, yeah, I should probably I should probably get out of here. So all I right, go... why don't you give us your prediction, and then Jeff and I will talk a little bit more about the game. Uh, I'm just okay. Nine six Seahawks. I'm not feeling this game at all. Uh, I think if it wasn't Monday night, I would not pick them to win. Um, but I think it's they're not Monday do... night. Wait, is it not a Monday night game? Is it Sunday night? The Sunday day game. Oh, you're close though. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the like three possible slots. So <laughs> Nathan would have missed the game. I would have missed the game. Um, well, okay, nine six Browns. Nine six Browns. I'm flipping it. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Throw back to the Charlie Charlie Whitehurst. Uh, oh, yeah. Understood. Thank you, Nathan. That's Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11. You can find him on Twitter and appreciate him as always. Jeff, um, I'm kind of fascinated by this game. I, I, I'm like looking forward to this game and I, in a way I wouldn't have a few weeks ago. And I'm curious if, if you're feeling similarly. 
Um, yeah, it's it's going to be. I, I, I want to see how they do against an elite defense, and I want to see. Can it's just, and now we're going to see two elite defenses. We've gone basically an hour and twenty minutes and I haven't even talked about the Seahawks defense really. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm just fascinated to see how this game looks because this is a game we all probably would have thought would be an easy win at some point in the year. There's a lot of ways they can lose this game, and their offense in the second half, the last three weeks basically, has been hard to watch. And it's been it's a struggle. And Nathan said, like they just look discombobulated, and Gino has not helped with turnovers, and he's been pressing a little bit. And they only got what 13 points against Cincinnati. It's a little scary to think what this game could be because this is a far better defense. So I'm just curious to see these two defenses go head to head. It just makes this game far more interesting than I would have thought this uh, Cleveland Browns team would be. And everyone's going to be like, oh, they got PJ Walker. It's a, it's an easy win. Like they've won their two starts with games with PJ Walker and they scored almost 40 points last game. And some of them were defense, but they beat San Francisco and it's going to be a really hard game. So I'm just curious how they match up. Do you, do you think there's people, are you running into people that are like, Oh, this is easy. going to be an easy game. I'm not, I'm not finding that as what people are expecting. Uh, I've seen some of it just because when I heard PJ Walker was starting, they're like, all right, back with quarterback. But like, if you follow the Browns this year, saw what they did to San Francisco, I don't see how you can come to that conclusion. Yeah, I mean, I as soon as you as soon as they did what they did to the 49ers, which was essentially stop a Mack truck that was going 100 miles an hour and like they they knocked out CMC, they injured Debo Samuel, uh Trent Williams got injured in that game. He is like a tank. He never gets injured. Uh they out them. They were the bullies in that game. I, I don't know that anyone should feel comfortable playing this team um, after what they did in that situation. And their defense at that point <laughs> before this last week was doing historical things like they were. You know, uh, light years better than the next defense in the NFL um, this season. So I don't know who would say that they've got it easy this week, but the part that I'm kind of think that's kind of fun, man, is that now we've got a defense that people are not sure how to beat and are nervous about. And a few weeks ago, I'm not sure we felt that way. I am interested to see this is probably the worst offense that they will have faced since the Giants. And yes, I'm including the Cardinals in that. I think this is a worse offense than than what the Cardinals ran out. I think Joshua Dobbs has been a more competent quarterback this year than PJ Walker's been. And this team is almost wholly dependent on their running game. And with the Seahawks strength this year has unbelievably been stopping the run. Yep. So if you hold if you if I think this game comes down to two things, Jeff. I think it comes down to if you can stop the Browns running game, which they don't have Nick Chubb, but they do have Jerome Ford. They, I don't think they're going to. I don't think he's going to play. Oh, you don't think he's going to play? No, I think he's doubtful already. And he, he, Is that he true? Like, That's huge news. I didn't know that. Yeah, and Kareem Hunt didn't practice today either. No way. 
I think he's supposed to play, but I don't think Ford, I think Ford had like an ankle sprain last game. That would be huge news. Mm-hmm. Huge, huge news. Um, yeah. So I think that this game comes down to them being able to stop the running game. Yeah. Ford is not expected to play. He, there's talk about him potentially going on IR. Wow. Yeah. That is massive news. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Usually I'm all over those things, but I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other piece is limiting turnovers. I, like sacks are like even getting sacked is acceptable in this game. Punting is acceptable in this game. Can't get in strip sacks that you're losing fumbles. You can't throw picks. Like this, I, I think the Seahawks offense needs to be thoughtful about our job is to not lose this game. And hopefully the defense can do enough and maybe turn over the, the Browns enough to where you've got, okay, we have a 10 yard drive that gets us a field goal. Yeah. Like I, I don't need this to be a sexy offensive game. Like I need Gino to go back to being a more error free quarterback like he was all the way up until the Bengals game uh, really the first half of the Bengals game like until, yeah. until he got to the second half of the Bengals game so um but yeah I don't know you I'm like dying to see Devin Witherspoon hopefully pick six PJ Walker or Jamal Adams make a, a big splash play or Jordan Brooks or you know Frank Clark who knows boy Mafe maybe someone gets on 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 uh, untracked in this one. Um, but yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing the kind of a defensive old school battle out there. Um, is there anything where you see the Seahawks having a really big advantage in this one? Um, just really, if they have the ability to stop the run, I think that really plays into the Seahawks favor because the Seahawks are so good in the back end right now. And the Browns don't have a lot of like, some kind of weapons that would typically kill Seattle, those little quick slot receivers or those guys in space. And they got Amari Cooper, who's just like a really smooth route runner. And they got Elijah Moore, who's more of a gadget player, and David Njoku. But those like smooth middle of the field guys are the guys that typically kill the scheme. So they don't have that. It's more can they stop the run and can you make them one dimensional? And that really plays in Seattle's favor. But offensively, like for Seattle, it's hard to see a ton of advantages unless like you can run the ball on these guys and Kenneth Walker. Could... I really like the Kenneth Walker play boss game. It was a really workmanlike game, but the way Seattle's passing and how disjointed and how uncomfortable third downs have been and the red zone's been, this game's going to be hard, man. It's going to be hard on offense. It is going to be hard. Is there anything that the Seahawks offense could do in this game? Really any side of the ball, but the focus on the offense that would give you reason to think that they could beat the Ravens next week. Yeah, they got it's if they can play really really good offensively against this defense. Like what? What does that look like? What what would that look like? Scoring 24 27 points. Hmm. If they can have that game where they're driving down the field consistently and they're moving the ball and they're able to use different packages to open up the rest of their sort of like what we saw in Detroit. Obviously I don't think they're going to score 38 points, but really the team's been at their best when they've been in those two and three tight end packages. And we haven't really seen that kind of offensive success since. 
But Baltimore right now, like offensively and defensively, look like the best team in the league right now in terms of just like completeness over the last three weeks. And so you can't win with one side of the ball, I think, if you're playing Baltimore. Cleveland, you can't. But for me to think they can beat Baltimore, they got to look really, really good on both sides. And we've seen the defense come around, and I think the defense will look strong this week. But, man, this is the biggest test of the year for the offense. Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see. Uh, like you said, their coverage units are not the their, their secondary is not as skilled. If there's a way that they can get it to any protection, uh, you know, I think that would be big. Uh, the run defense is not as elite, but it is pretty good. So I think getting any kind of run game going is gonna be big. But yeah, this this could absolutely be a low scoring old school Seahawks Browns game. They've done this a few times over the years. So Jeff. Tell us what who's going to win this game. What is your prediction? Right now, I'm thinking the Browns. Um, I just haven't been seen enough on offense where I'm comfortable. The last, the second half of last week just felt like such a struggle against one of the worst defenses in the NFL and now going against the hardest team to get first downs against. I just don't think they're quite there yet with this offensive line and how disjointed they've looked. I think it's going to be a close game. I think the defense is going to play really, really well for Seattle. But I think the Cleveland's going to win 13-10 at this point. I hope I'm wrong. The thing about the Browns to know about, Jim Schwartz, if you ever like heard him talk, this guy's got like a – he's like a loud – he's got a confident, cocky attitude, and the Browns have taken on that personality. So this is a game where Seattle can come out and like – like you saw what they did in San Francisco. They beat them up. So I just think a more physical team still. I don't know if Seattle's built to play like that with this offensive line. If they prove me wrong and play competent offense, they this has potential to be a blowout if they can play on offense. But I, I think right now I'm, I'm picking Cleveland. I hope I'm wrong. I just need to see more from the offense to believe that they can be a defense like this. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. I understand it. And that makes two out of the three of us uh, picking the Browns. Uh, I guess my turn to to share my perspective on this game. I, one, I think the vibes are going to be off the charts with the throwback. I think it's going to be really fun in there. I think there's going to be a good feeling. I think the crowd's going to be into it. Um, I think the team's going to be feeling themselves. I think the Seahawks defense is going to be the most impactful group on the field. I think their advantage over the Browns offense is a bigger difference than the Browns defense over the Seahawks offense. So I think that ultimately I'm expecting that to turn into points. I think that the the Seahawks defense is going to either directly score points or create really easy short field opportunities to put points on the board. And I think the Seahawks offense is going to have trouble moving the ball, but I think that there's going to be enough points for them. And I think the the Browns are just, I think the only way I think the Browns are going to really struggle now with the Jerome Ford news, that's even more so like, Oh my gosh. I, I like, I think that dramatically tilts things in the Seahawks favor. So I've got the Seahawks winning this one. It, it, it would not surprise me if it's a single digit kind of game. But I actually think it's going to end up being like 20 to three. Um, I, I think that 
Uh, I was going to go with 20 to seven, but I'm going to stick with 20 to three. I, I don't know that the Browns are going to get in the end zone in this one. Um, I think the Seahawks defense is just going to be smothering. And I think the offense will do just enough um, to, to get a win. So let's hope that's the case. Uh, let's hope that the 49ers find a way to lose to the Bengals and that we're talking about a first place team heading into what will be the second half of the season, right? Uh, week nine. I think then? it's week eight already. Right? Nuts. Oh, God. Oh. Nuts. Uh, we didn't spend enough time just talking about how awesome Devin Witherspoon is. We got to do that another show. I mean, if you want to talk about him, I'm not going anywhere. I just can't get over how good he is at this, like, five games into his career. He, like, you tweeted out, he's the number one rated corner in the NFL for Pro Football Focus. And, like, week one, like, the first game we saw him, he gave up that deep pass and he gave up some penalties. And we're like, okay, this year is going to be a bit of a struggle. We're going to have to come up with excuses for him. And, since then, he's been one of the most exciting young rookies I've ever seen. And just, like, he had the sack and the interception. They should have had three points allowed last game. And that hit on him. Like, you saw that play clip in the draft. And see what he did, just how quickly he identified that and a quick clean of a hit that was. I just can't wait to watch this guy play. And, like, I was tweeting about this earlier, some about, like, the, my basketball team I watched in Toronto, the Raptors. And I feel bad saying this now because you guys don't have a team, right? Well, you do, but Seattle doesn't. Let's talk about how boring they are and just like how uninteresting their players are. They won tonight, so people were yelling at me. But I just – there's so many guys right now in the Seahawks. Like, you can love or hate Gino all you want. There's so many guys on the team I'm just so excited to watch every week. And Witherspoon's got to be number one on my list right now. And it's just such a cool feeling. Like, compared to – I talked about the Raptors, like – I couldn't, I have no interest in watching. There's not a single guy on their team I'm excited to watch. And like, I can't, like Jamal Adams has been really good. I don't think he's getting enough attention, but Witherspoon has been the best player in the field in almost every game he's played. I think he's been one of the best players in football. Yeah. Which to me, as a fifth year, fifth game corner, he looks like Charles Woodson. It's unbelievable. Uh, I, I think the coolest thing. And this is showing up in some of the interviews of the players, and I don't think it's hyperbole. Is I don't think there's a good comparison for him. Like Charles Woodson, maybe put up like all sorts. Like he he could sack a quarterback, he could play corner, and 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 like so I understand that comparison from a uh, the types of numbers he puts up. But Charles Woodson was a totally different kind of athlete um, than Devin Witherspoon, right? Yeah. Like and. There is nobody else really like him. And you ask the players, they don't know who's like him. Even so, they asked Pete Carroll today. I was listening to his press conference. I don't know if you heard it, Jeff. They asked, Who does Miles Garrett remind you of? And before Pete said something, I was like, Bruce Smith. And then Pete says, Bruce Smith. Like I, that, Miles Garrett does remind me of Bruce Smith. He's like an insane athlete that just dominates the position, right? I don't, I think Weatherspoon might be the first of his kind. And that's pretty cool. Like, that's just fun to watch. Um, and it, I think the interesting thing, Jeff, you know, it was all the draft prep that you and I did. If you yeah. looked at, 
you looked at Pete and John's reasoning for this pick and there's all sorts of reasons to just kind of poke holes in it and that they were just, you know, whatever. Everything that they've said has turned out to be accurate. Like they had an absolute bead on who this guy was. And it sounds like maybe Willie Anderson was their first choice. And then when he wasn't there, this was the guy they wouldn't move for. Thank God. Like over the course of their careers, I'm not convinced that Jalen Carter will be a, a more impactful player over his career, even though he's been really, really good. The mental makeup and the like who Devin Witherspoon is as a person and a player, how he reacted to JSN getting his first touchdown. Like there's a lot of things that project to this guy being a winning player for many, many years and like the centerpiece of a, of a team. Yeah. Like we talked about blue chip players for so long and it looks like that we might have one here. The other guy we didn't talk about at all is boy Mafe. Yeah. Like you were, you were like high on him last year. I was not super high on him. Like coming out of the draft, you're like, you're, you're excited about him. Um, but then preseason, we were like, everyone's like, oh, he's the most improved player. And we're like, yeah, this guy's like a rotational guy with, you know, five to seven sacks. Like, right? Yeah, I did not see this coming. I, I got to take an alley here. Um, I thought, like, typically when pass rushers go in the second round, they have a significant limitation. It's a position like quarterback. If you're, if you're a high-level prospect, you typically go in the first round or you're found, like, late in the draft and you're a diamond in the rough that second round zone is almost like a dead spot, sort of like with quarterbacks. And Moffat, we saw some flashes last year in the preseason. It's like, okay, he's being up on these preseason tackles. It's four weeks in a row with sacks, and he could have had another one if he didn't jump in the air for some reason. And the guy we saw in the preseason is transfer is transforming to the season. And he looked like the most dominant player in the field. I don't know if he's like an elite pass rusher, but he's been really good at He's been, he's a guy who can get you maybe nine or 10 sacks this year. And just to add to what they got in that trade for Russell and oh, yeah. Cross, Witherspoon. And if Mafe is like a legit edge rusher, <laughs> yeah. like, the, the, it just keeps getting better. And yeah, it's crazy. Like I thought he's like a six, four or six sack guy. He'll be fine. And Derek Hall is going through a lot of what he went through last year. It's mm-hmm. a tough spot as a second round pass rusher. But man, Moffat's been has been one of the more surprising stories of the season. He's been great. Well, so four sacks in four games, like in the last four games. And he's now number one in the NFL among edge rushers in pass rush win rate. Number yeah. one. And everyone's like, oh, well, yeah, but his double team rate, they show that as well, is well way like it's 12% or something compared to like a Nick Bosa's 24%, you know, like guys getting doubled all the time. I get that, but the way that you command double teams is to dominate single matches, one-on-one matchups, right? So you not want Mafe to be number one on the pass rush win rate chart just because he's not getting – like, of course you do. So even if Mafe starts to demand or, like, require teams to double him, that's a win. 
right dude like like that means that other guys are going to be coming open more like that helps your defense in so many ways and what have you and i talked about so many times we don't have a guy on the line that commands a double team so i don't know i don't know if he's getting to that level and i don't care if what happens is for the rest of this year people don't believe he's that level and he just keeps getting getting to the quarterback that's fine by me so really any way this goes, either teams decide to start doubling him and it opens up things for other players or they don't. And Mafe continues to, to cause chaos for them. Either one of those is a good outcome from my perspective. So yeah, I think that's been great. You mentioned Jamal Adams. I think Quandre Diggs has been coming on strong and not getting a lot of pub for it. Um, you know, yeah, I think there's just a lot of fun, a lot of fun to be had with that team. So I I certainly enjoy the defense being on the field more than the offense right now. And I'm kind of licking my chops to see what they do against an inferior offense and just see them keep punishing them. And if they do what I think they're going to do this week, Jeff, we'll talk about it next week. I'm looking forward to them getting a chance to go up against the MVP of the league so far this year in Baltimore and Zay flowers and that crew and see what that looks like, you know, like, and I know Nathan's not excited about it. I'm not like excited, excited, but I think Frank Clark could be a really solid addition for this team. I don't know that he's going to like be the best guy, but I think that could be exactly the right plug and play for what they need from that spot. It's, you know, Echenna Nwosu, as much as I think we all are fond of him, he was not having the same level of impact this year that he'd been having he had last year. So I don't know if it's as big of a loss as some people are making it out to be. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty bullish. It's, it's, been, it's been pretty convincing how well they've played. Yeah. yeah Anything else you wanted to talk about? No, no, I'm just, I'm excited to see this game. Like, I just love watching this team right now. I know Gino's been frustrating. The offense has been stagnant, but it's just, I still am sort of mesmerized of where we thought like two years ago, this situation was looking so bleak. And after 21, they, we thought this is going to be a team that's going to suck for 10 years. And now they're one of the most fun young teams in the league. And they have a lingering quarterback issue. I think that's going to be a conversation we're going to have to get into is do you pick this guy's option up? But there's so many good things about this team right now. And, like, the fact that they went from, like, such a bleak situation to one of the – loaded with young players. It's so fun to watch these guys right now. It is. It is. All right, everybody. That will do it for us on Real Hawk Talk this week. Uh, Brian Nemhauser at HawkBlogger on Twitter. You can find Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. And as I've said before, give the show a like. Uh, subscribe to the channel and go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger sign up get immediate access to the slack channel and it's not too late to join ring of honor you can do it you'll enjoy it and all the proceeds get donated to charity over two hundred and sixty thousand dollars to date so come on it's the time this is a team that's building be part of the best community for seahawks fans until next time take care have a great night and go hawks Hey folks, this is Brian Nemhauser. Thanks for listening to the show. Hope you enjoyed it. I want you to know that Real Hawk Talk is available on all major podcast platforms. 
Go ahead and subscribe. Have all podcasts delivered directly to your phone after each and every show. And then go ahead and leave us a five-star review. Helps us out, gets more people to the show. Then, if you haven't already done it, go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger and subscribe for just five bucks a month. Gets you immediate access to our Slack channel. Join hundreds of folks in that community to talk Seahawks about wins, losses, and all things in between. Not to mention become eligible to win giveaways for Seahawks tickets and get to ask questions of the Real Hawk Talk crew every week on the show. Finally, if you haven't gone to hawkblogger.com recently, head on over. Tail the tape morning after articles are there every week. Hoping to see you there. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for supporting the show. Go Hawks.